0: Hi, this is Peter Diamandis, and I'm here with my coach and my dear friend, Dan Sullivan, for our next episode of Exponential Wisdom. And Dan, when I think about an individual who exudes exponentiality, if that's a word, Elon Musk is definitely one of them, if not the key one, given the range of what he's working on, which we'll talk about. And I had the chance to spend the day with him a little bit over a week ago. We are announcing a $100 million Prize, the largest one ever, for the removal of CO2 from the atmosphere. And we spent an hour on a Zoom, a live cast, and across social media mm-hmm. talking about why and about his projects. And I thought it'd be a fun conversation for us.
1: I'd love it. You know, he has a lot of fans and customers, actually, in the coach ranks. So I think yeah. our clients will certainly love your conversation.
0: Let me go back to, you know, how this came about, because I think it's an interesting story. I've known Elon since 2000. He had just sold PayPal to eBay, had pocketed, you know, $130, $140 million. And he was driving cross-country with another friend of mine, Adeo Resi, who was his roommate at UPenn and they were talking about what they wanted to do and one of his areas was space and i was working on the x prize at the time i had not funded it yet I hadn't funded it with the i'm sorry so i had a meeting with elon and adeo and you know elon to his credit 21 years ago his passion was about making humanity a multiplanetary species and taking us off a dependence of hydrocarbons so he has not changed his tunes in 21 years mm-hmm. His first mission was he wanted to actually fly a mouse around Mars. That was what he wanted to do, to try and guilt NASA into doing something more than they were doing. He said, if a private citizen can do that. And then the next idea they had was they were going to land a greenhouse on the Martian surface and have a Earth plant flower on Mars and take photos of that. So Elon goes to Russia to go and buy a Russian launch vehicle for this mission. And he finds out that the launch vehicles that are being sold there, and I had just purchased one for a different space mission, a Dneper, for like $6, 7000000 million, that these launch vehicles are 50-year-old ICBMs being converted. Mm-hmm. Take the warhead off, put the satellite on, mm-hmm. new trajectory. And he comes back completely despondent about the ridiculous nature of the launch industry, how expensive it is, and these things are a throwaway. And he makes a decision that he's going to try and build his own private launch vehicle. And I'm like, Elon, listen, look at all of my friends, because I had so many friends who had started launch companies, including myself, that never got successful. I mean, Andy Beal, who spent $100 million and lost it all, and Charlie Chafer, and it's just crazy. All these dead bodies. I said, why don't you fund the X Prize for spaceflight instead? He never lets me forget that I tried to talk him out of starting SpaceX. So we became friends. He joined my board at the XPRIZE Foundation, became a donor there. We funded a global learning XPRIZE that he put up the $15 million for, for teaching kids around the world, Mm -hmm. reading, writing, numeracy. On January 7th of 2021, uh, this year, he becomes the wealthiest human on the planet. And he starts getting flack. He just passed Jeff Bezos. And he starts getting flack Mm -hmm. in the Twitterverse that he's not being philanthropic. He's not donating money. And he tweets out, you know, giving money away and causing change is really hard to do. Mm -hmm. So I texted him and said, you know, I saw your tweet. Why don't we do another XPRIZE? And uh, he said, what do you have in mind? And I said, well, let's do one to remove CO2 out of the atmosphere. And to his credit, and this is who he is, he basically, you know, went back and forth a couple of conversations and he said, let's do it. And less than 30 days later, he had agreed on a $100 million prize for CO2 removal. And I'm going to show you a short clip. And then let's talk about what it takes to operate at this kind of a level. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. So here we go. Let's play this. Welcome to a special live stream on Earth Day. In here a, we are on Earth. On Earth in a beautiful
2: Surrounded nature by preserve. Nature. Yeah. Why did you fund this? Let's start with the, the why there. Our goal is like basically to have it be sort of interesting, fun, and, and ultimately useful, and to spur creative ideas for what is actually the smartest way to take the trillions of tons of carbon that we, we've removed from the ground, and will remove from the ground, from deep, deep underground, and we've placed that carbon in the atmosphere and oceans, which obviously changes the chemical constituency of the surface of the Earth. I think this is one of those things that's going to take a while to figure out what the right solution is. Mm-hmm. And especially to figure out what the best economics are for CO two removal and all the think through all the consequences. You don't want the cure to be worse than the disease. As the world industrializes and we're sort of at eight billion people, get to nine billion people, have a lot more industrial output per person, you know, at, at what might be okay at sort of four or five hundred possibility of CO two in the atmosphere might become quite dire at a thousand. Yep. And the trend is certainly in that direction if we don't do anything about it. So, like, let's say you think it's 99.9% likely that adding all the CO2 to the ocean's atmosphere is going to be fine. So you're saying there's a 0.1% chance of disaster. Well, so right now we're going to get one planet. <laughs> well, even a 0.1% chance of disaster, why run that risk? That's crazy. So let's
0: talk about the prizes that are up for grabs. First place is going to be $50 million, Yeah. Which is significant. Our hope is that it's going to attract enough cognitive surplus out there to focus in on this.
2: Yeah. $30 million split between sort of a second, third, and fourth place prize. Yeah. I mean, we want to reward people who have done great work, yeah. fundamentally. I'm, I'm open to increasing the prize size too over time. So if it turns out, like, hey, somebody really kicked ass and somehow there's not a price for them, we'll also add some more to the prize. That's extraordinary.
0: Yeah, absolutely. One last question, update on Starship.
2: I mean, Starship's taking us to the moon, taking us to Mars. That's and the goal. it's audacious. To make humanity a true space bearing civilization, we must have a fully and rapidly reusable rocket. Now we've made some progress in that direction with Falcon 9 where the booster is reusable, landing out to sea and then having to bring it back and then sort of taking a, a month or so to Get it ready for launches. It's still, so I wouldn't call it rapid by aircraft standards. Whereas Starship is intended to be both fully and rapidly usable, like a seven sixty-seven, just refuel yeah. and go. It's intended to be such that the booster can be used a dozen times a day, and the ship wow. the ship could be you know like basically every couple of hours.
0: We could sit here and talk about macaque monkeys playing pong as oh, well on yeah. uh, Neuralink. Pong. That was amazing.
2: Yeah, that was really wild. awesome. I played mind pong against the monkey. You did? Did you Yeah, didn't? no. Oh. But, uh, well, but it hadn't practiced as much yet. So now it might be able to beat me. Monkeys have very good agility. Like, like, They've like, got to catch the branch. Like, they can swing through the trees and we cannot. <laughs> Not very well, you know. Yeah. So uh, I think a monkey actually could, could play like a fast twitch video game really well. That's great. Better, maybe better than a human. You can sponsor a team. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Esports, <laughs> it's just monkeys. It maca- macaques <laughs>
1: yeah. against the best teams. So that was fun. The interesting thing, I was thinking of the switch in my lifetime. It was, as I say, when I came into the world, it was a world of big pyramidical structures. Government was that way. Corporations were that way. Big unions were a big pyramidical organization. And the school system is actually a, you know, if you think about the school system that still exists for most students, it's actually a 12 to 13 year factory where the human is comes in, you know. If you think of your own children, your twins, yeah. At six, they really got a handle on life. You know, at six, you know, they've had nothing but freedom for the first five or six years, so they know nothing but freedom. And then the factory system of the school. This was my school over twelve years. Any what I would say aberrant thought you had about yourself, A.K.A. creativity and freedom, they would eliminate this as waste material so that having graduated from this factory, you could go out and make employment in other factories and put up with it for 40 years.
0: Back in your day, they would actually beat it out of you.
1: (laughs) I was beaten. I was beaten, you know, and it did me a lot of good. I, I have to tell you. I have to tell you. And then there was the odd teacher who just took a unique interest in you. You don't remember the other teachers, but you remember the unique teacher who just said, you know, you've got really a different way of approaching things, and you ought to really develop that. So the difference in 70 years, so first grade was 70 years, 1950 was first grade. Now it's the outliers that get rewarded, not the conformists. Yep, I mean, some of the outliers go to prison because, you know, it takes more than just being an outlier. But my sense is that Elon's just a classic case of a complete outlier. He
0: is and does it on so many different domains, right? By the way, anybody who wants to, if you just Google Elon and my name, there's a full hour of the conversation, which we talk about a lot of different things. But it's first and foremost, He has a level of conviction. What I mean by that is when he exited PayPal to eBay, he took the $140 million he had and he plowed it all, didn't put half of it away for a rainy day. He plowed all of it into SpaceX and Tesla and then some, right? He was in debt back in 2008. And then the other thing is... He didn't
1: turn around until he got to his 30th credit card. Yeah, basically.
0: You know, an entrepreneur is an entrepreneur, yeah. but he's also very much an engineer where he went deep. One of the difficulties is that a lot of entrepreneurs turn CEOs get away from the core challenge of their business and they hand it off to someone else to handle, like you do the engineering or you do the market design and so forth. And you lose connection With that. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting where you have really powerful entrepreneurs who are, they play the who that made them unique in their company.
1: Mm -hmm. Our concept of unique ability in coach is that there's a central area where you're just uniquely good, and that everything else that you've learned how to do to grow a company can be done better by other people. Yeah. You know, and my sense is that that's the model for individual development that actually works today, because we want to reward people who bring new ideas to old processes or to problems. So all the people that we'll meet on your longevity trip in August, you'll look back and they're kind of outliers. They were off the beaten path. They got fascinated. They got interested. They got passionate about something that didn't exist, that could exist. You know something, I find people like Elon, they'll bet their life on their ideas.
0: Yes, 100%. That is a really important point. And we talked about this. He's very clear on his massively transformative purpose. I remember one meeting I had with him at SpaceX where I walked in and he was kind of bummed. I was like, you know, what's up? What's going on? He goes, I just realized that we are not on track to getting SpaceX to Mars, and I need to reorganize the entire organization. And what he did was he basically made a decision. He was gonna shut down the Falcon 9. This is the launch vehicle that was landing back at Cape Kennedy or on the ship. Immensely successful, right? Blew away every other launch company out there, the industrial military complex. But he had to make a decision that we're gonna stop producing those. And we're going to have to go to Starship. That's when I caught him at that moment when he's making that decision. So he's going to like kill. He's going to burn the ships, right? Because the Falcon 9's not going to get us to Mars. We need a brand new design, and that was going to be Starship. Now, here's another thing he's done. If you've watched it in the Starship flights, and there's one typically happening every week, we're up to serial number fifteen, SN15, right now. Building these at such a rapid rate that. We're going to blow up 30 of them or 50 of them, and we're just going to fly it, learn a little bit. It's going to blow up, and then we'll do the next one, the next one. It's like iterating software where the traditional aerospace industry would come up with a the design. They would do everything they could to make sure it's going to work perfectly the first time, and they'd be years down the road, and if it didn't work, they were out of money and were shutting it down. So it's a very different mindsets that enable this to work.
1: Yeah. You know, I had the lucky fortune and where I was born and grew up was two miles from Edison's birthplace. There's a museum now where he grew up. And Edison was interesting and he was homeschooled. You know, they had public schools in the 1850s, but he was homeschooled. And part of it was he had an accident where he was partially deaf Mm -hmm. and he came across as being kind of stupid to the teachers. So his mother really taught him. But If you look at Elon right now, the mold for this type of individual, I think Edison is the creator of the modern R&D lab. He's the creator of integrating every part of an enterprise, not only the invention of something, but the capitalization of something, the advertising, the marketing, and everything like that. You know, just really created the modern scientific industrial age as a single individual, and then... You know, 160 years later, you have a system that really prizes individuals like this. And I think about a previous podcast that we've done, Peter, is the rapid transformation of the capital markets to just create capital for a new idea that comes yep. along with the SPACs. I mean, you talk about inventions and innovation. The SPAC is just a wonderful innovation.
0: It is. And we're also seeing the entire crypto world in a period of rapid positive expansion, explosion, what's happening with Bitcoin and Ethereum and all of the non-fungible tokens. We talked about that as well. And it's the agility of money. Money is able to flow faster than ever before to good ideas and good entrepreneurs.
1: Yep. Money likes new. Money likes excitement.
0: Yeah. And it's a form of energy, right? And so when you are investing in a company, you're transferring part of your energy into that company or organization or individual to help them create something new. Yeah, And so interesting, right? When I think about, you know, we talk in the webinar on the live stream about a little run around a boring corporation, you know, drilling tunnels. But that afternoon was the launch of the Crew-2 mission to the space station. So I mm-hmm. got a chance to go out and see the vehicle up close and then be there for the launch.
1: No, I think they just came back yesterday. Yeah, there that. were
0: two dragons at mm-hmm. orbit. But what's interesting as well, and we didn't talk about this, but it's worth the it bears were saying, you know, SpaceX went from basically nothing, no background in this to creating a human carrying capability while the industrial military complex, you know, Boeing, for their launch vehicle has spent at least five x as much money and twice as long and nothing's happened and so. It's an area of risk mitigation, and it's, what is it? Are people smarter at these entrepreneurial companies, or do they just have a better way of teamwork and a better way of innovating? I mean, you have to ask yourself when there's that kind of a disparity.
1: Elon has an advantage, which I think is actually, I really see it in my client base. He's an immigrant. You know, I mean, he's spent time in South Africa. He spent time in Canada. He spent time, but he's kind of a, a kind of a one-off that got created through a set of circumstances. He had money. You know, I mean, he wasn't poor or anything like that, but he had this experience of moving from different systems, and I think that helped him a, a lot. That he could come in and look at an existing system and say, "I'm not really confused by all the history." of how we got to here. Let's just go back and figure out if you're going to do something new, what's the starting point for something brand new that's not bogged down by history. And I see that in everything that he's done. He's just not bogged down by the bureaucracy. He's not bogged down by you know the existing development of something.
0: Yeah. we'll you start with a clean sheet of paper.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, he used to work, I think, at a gas station or he worked at a car wash or something in North Toronto, you know, for part of his education. I think he was doing manual labor. But I think that he's got a unique path to how he got there, and he's not burdened by anybody else's expectations. I think he's only answerable, I think, to one supervisor, and that's himself.
0: Yeah. It was an interesting conversation I had them years ago. We were in Europe. Together and, and having lunch. And at the lunch was the CEO of one of the large European car companies. And I won't mention who it is. And we were having, the three of us were having this lunch this discussion debate. And I asked Elon for how Tesla got started and how challenging was it. And he said, it's crazy when he became an investor in Tesla in the beginning and then eventually became CEO. But in the beginning, the original Tesla was based on the Lotus body and based upon the existing batteries. And he got invested because he believed the Lotus body would help them accelerate and that the batteries were sufficient. And midway through, after he invested a significant amount of his dry capital, he finds out that no, the Lotus body as it is, isn't going to work. It has to be modified and the batteries aren't going to work. They need to be modified. And then it was too late. He was too far in the deal. And that's when he took over as CEO and re-engineered the system and got it to a success. But a lot of times we get involved in something big and bold because we're naive. And then we have to work our way out of it.
1: Mm -hmm. I just did a redo of an earlier book. And I said, you know, one thing that I've really noticed about the entrepreneurial mindset is compared with people who aren't entrepreneurs. And, you know, there's no increase, you know, that everybody talks, you know, the number of entrepreneurs is increasing. Well, I started paying attention to the statistics in the 1970s and it's still about 4% of the general population. It never gets bigger, you know. And my feeling is you only need 4%. (laughs) You think about it, one person starts something and hires the other 19. So, (laughs) you know, really it's employment that's more important, you know, for most people, it's innovation. But, you know, when he talks and, you know, I read articles on him, I go back to the statement I said, is that your life has no meaning unless you're betting it on something big and new. Yes, I love
0: that. And it's true. And so he's constantly placing those bets, as you are and I am. I find it fascinating. The last part that we talked about was what's going on with Neuralink, and just to slow that part of the video down. So a few years back, Elon got enamored with the idea of connecting the human brain to the cloud as a means to help protect humanity against runaway AI. Now he's got a negative view towards AI if it isn't properly gestated, controlled mm-hmm. and so forth. I have less of that concern. So he teamed with a couple of individuals and created Neuralink. He was actually gonna have it co-founded with a friend of mine, I won't mention, but Elon is also one of these individuals. It's his way of the highway. He's hard to yeah. partner with. It's like, you know, yeah. They're not doing something jointly it's his company and his direction and so this individual yeah. ended up going and doing their own thing but they started developing the ability to basically you open up the scalp you drill into the skull and you place a thousand microfibers onto the neocortex, the top layer of the brain where you have the motor homunculus and the sensory homunculus and you can have as you think to move your hand, your arm, your eyes, and so forth. You can read that and have it move, in this case, a paddle in the game of Pong or a robot set of hands and also return sensation. And the the initial goal is going to be people who've got a cervical fracture and have lost sensation and motor function. Mm -hmm. You could bypass the broken spinal cord and go directly to a robot or external sensations. Mm -hmm. But when they released the image of that macaque monkey playing Pong, and you see it basically getting better and better and better. And what he said was he he announced on <laughs> our webcast that he had played mind Pong against the the macaque. And that was, of course, the headlines of articles, <laughs> Elon plays Pong. But it's, it is fascinating. We're heading towards, and this reinforces Ray Kurzweil's prediction that in the early 2030s, we're going to have high bandwidth brain-computer interface. So Mm-hmm. What does that mean to you or your employees if you can think and Google or increase your in your intelligence or your knowledge base?
1: Yeah, well, I think that, you know, genius in anything is a higher level of intelligence than can be explained. I was talking to someone who who is very familiar with the military and the kind of skills that it takes. And jet pilots now, especially Navy pilots right now, basically control the plane with their eyes. Yeah. Yep. And they have to train and train not to twitch, you know, because, but they just have a screen where they're looking at certain things. And if they want to turn, they move their eyes this way and that way. So my sense is that they're seeing just how far humans can go, just, you know, using really highly skilled, highly tested people. The great striving. For humanity, if I can make a distinction as opposed to non-human life form, is two things. One is a brain that loves novelty Mm. and then has to create structures, social structures, political structures, where it's okay to be creative and novel. Because in old days, you could get executed really quickly for being novel. But the other thing is our thumbs, opposable thumb. (laughs) I had a neurologist in my program, he taught at the University of Toronto and he had his own private company. And he said, what handed are you? Are you right handed or left handed? And I said, right handed. And he said, did you ever favor your left hand for anything? I said, I broke my right arm once. And for about three or four months, I learned how to write with my left hand, but I wouldn't naturally favor it. He said, you know, the thumb gets to the brain without too many connections. He said, there's a direct connection between the opposable thumb of your dominant hand and your brain. And he said, the reason is, if you think about humanity, what we can do with that opposable thumb and what we can build and what we can write and everything else. And he said, there's no other creatures who really, really have it to the degree that we have. You know, porpoises, uh, unfortunately, can't strike a match. Yep. He's a very unique human being who is pushing the limits of what human beings can do. And
0: there's something else which I want to just point out, which is because he's had such audacious successes, there is a belief that when he says he's going to do something, people believe he's going to do it. Yeah. He's the stock. But it's a very important point. It's like, you know, it's biblical. You know, in the beginning, there was the word. Right. It's in other words, there is a point at which in your career as an entrepreneur, when you're early on, you say you're going to do something and then it's like, you know, I don't believe you or prove it. And then you get to a point where you're going to do something and people say, okay, you know, I kind of believe you. I'll invest in you a little bit. And then you get to a point, you know, higher and higher and higher to the point when when you say something, you're materializing the future. Mm -hmm. right? You are literally creating the future because what happens is the best people hear about it, want to come to work for you. The capital comes to you and you're materializing that vision of the future. It's manifesting at the highest possible level. And so he is very much a manifester in that regard.
1: Yeah. I've read a lot of people who are investment analysts and everything else. And they said, I have to tell you, the Stock price for Tesla, the stock price for everything is only because of who owns it.
0: Yeah, I agree. But if you look at the fact that Tesla is an energy company and Tesla is an AI company rather than a car company, then you look at it differently. If I tell you that the next generation of Teslas are going to be, you know, I get the newest version of the Model S, which I drive every time, there's going to be a, a version very shortly that when I'm away for a week, on vacation, which I will take someday, Um, (laughs) I can turn my Tesla on to revenue generation mode, and it'll drive around and take people as an autonomous taxi, Mm -hmm. right? And probably, you know, that will get split 50-50 between Tesla and myself. So there's lots of potential adjacencies, but if you bottle Tesla into a, it's a car company, sure, it's overvalued.
1: Yeah. But I would say that his proven ability to pull things off that seem impossible is half the value of his stock. Yep. Over and over again. It's like Tom Brady winning Super Bowls. Yeah, I want to compare Tom Brady because he's been to 10 Super Bowls. If a player gets to one in their lifetime, usually they get to the Hall of Fame if they're an important player. He's gone 10 times. There was a story that he left 40% of his salary over the last seven years on the table for the team that they could buy second string offensive linemen. If you don't know football, <laughs> everybody hated him. The agents for all the other players hated him, all the other quarterbacks hated them because he was depressing how much money they could make on their contracts. But he wanted to live. Yeah. They, he said, you know, so-and-so doesn't like this. So and so. He says, the other quarterbacks don't like this. He says, Yeah, but most of the other quarterbacks. Backs watch the Super Bowl on television. <laughs> That's ouch. Yeah, and he says besides, he said I'm not the big earner in my family. My wife makes a lot more money than do. Funny.
0: Yeah. And last question about Elon or our conversation?
1: Yeah. First of all, what's it like to be in? a friendly relationship with someone like this. And you have many, many others. You have Jeff Bezos and everything. What's it do to you as a person from a good side? And what's the danger of it, of hanging out with people like this? I mean, there's a good side to it, but what's the possible downside to it? The
0: downside, you know it, and I talk about it with you, is living in the gap, right? Yeah. It's like, you know, I'm in super pleased at how far I've come in all of the work that I've done and the companies I've started and so forth. But when you compare against what Elon has done or Jeff has done, you know, the two wealthiest people on the planet, it's crazy. And you can easily fall into the gap of that regard. So I started a rocket company. I've built a rocket company. I've seen how difficult that is. And to see what Elon has done and reinvented it is off the charts. Extraordinary. And to constantly up the game of partial reusability and full reusability, and then here's a vision of getting to Mars and such. So that's the downside. The upside is being able to let go of some of my dream responsibilities. It's like, you know, I have absolute confidence now that we're going to get to the surface of the moon reliably, repeatably, and Mars, not because the government, it's going to be, you know, these private individuals and companies. So it's dream fulfillment, but the gap is always one step away. You got to be careful of
1: that. Yeah, but I mean, we see things from our point of view. And so, you know, we do our comparisons, but I'm not saying this is true, but I say it's likely it's true that some of the people that you would compare yourself at a disadvantage with, they say, boy, you know, Peter, Peter's really got it all together, you know, he's and everything like that. So, you know, all human beings can only experience who they are and what they are. And humanity is a lot bigger than all of us. We all have capabilities. My attitude toward that is that it's a long game. Life is a long game. And it's how you play the game all along the way. And it's how much of a balance that you have between a lot of different things in life. Yep. And then there's some people who You know, uh, somebody once told me he was a mountain climber and he was talking about the people who do Everest, you know, like they'll do Everest six or seven times. And he says, you know, what?" he says, I've met a lot of them. And he says, you know what? They all have in common. And I said, no. He said, they all have a chip missing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, listen, I guarantee you life is not fun when you are on 24-7 and, you know, Elon's not sleeping and he's got these massive responsibilities. I mean, I was backstage with him when we're announcing our last X Prize, and he's like, I said, well, what's wrong? And he goes, man, oh man, we just lost $800 million at Tesla in the last quarter. And I'm not sure what we're going to do. And then we've got our first launch of our Starlink satellites. And we're not sure if the coupling is going to cause them to fall apart on ascent. And it's like the level of stress that's going on. I mean, there's a balance and a price to be paid for that. And it's real. And it's real. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And he's creating tremendous good. And I think that as far as the SpaceX, this is the game for the next, I mean, more than 100 years. But I have to tell you, the world is resorting itself out politically, economically, and everything because it's going to space.
0: Yeah, yeah. But I, for one, am thankful that someone like him exists on the planet and is yeah. just a consummate entrepreneur, engineer, and visionary, and someone who you know in- inspires all of us. Dan. And I feel that way about you too, Peter. <laughs> Thank you, pal. I'm grateful Grateful for yeah. you. Thank you for your time, pal. Enjoyed this conversation.
1: Thank you. And we'll fill up the trips. Yeah.
0: Yeah. All right, Dan. That was good. That was fun. Take care. Okay.